welcome to Grace, everybody. It's good to see you this weekend. There's still some folks coming in in the back. If you have some seats near you, maybe let them know. There's always seats in the front row. Uh, so you're welcome to sit up here with me, and I can stare at you directly. It's fun. And it's a good time to remind you of Saturday night services. So the Bible is very clear that Jesus will love you more if you come to church on Saturday night. It's all through the New Testament. You just have to read it the way you want it to read. And uh, look at that. So there's always seats and parking. And I look better in the evenings. <laughs> you're welcome. So I uh, encourage you to come out to that. But welcome to Grace this weekend. Welcome, everybody watching online. Thanks for joining us uh, here also. Uh, we're in a series right now that we call We, and we're talking about the church, who we are corporately, some of the things that we value deeply. The Bible says that when I asked Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, uh, a few things happened to me kind of instantly. One is my sins are forgiven. Another thing that happens instantly is God lives, we, we usually say God lives in my heart, but the Holy Spirit indwells me is the way the Bible would say it. That guarantees me a place in heaven. The Bible says he is my deposit in heaven. And something else that happens instantly that we don't always think about as much is we become a part of the church, the, the spiritual entity, the church of Jesus Christ. So the church is made up of everyone who is a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ as the Bible defines what that is. And so that's everybody across the planet. And then the Bible teaches us, the apostles teach us to organize into what we call local churches, right? So Grace Church is a local representation of the global church of Jesus Christ, the spiritual entity that we are, we are welcomed into, called out to be a part of when we accept Jesus as our savior. So me as a follower of Jesus Christ becomes a part of the we that is the church of Jesus Christ. And we as Grace Church are a local representation of the body of Christ. About mm, 20 plus years ago, I was a young pastor and uh, I was sitting in my mentor's office, a, a guy named Pastor Bob Combs. I was sitting in his office and I was complaining about the church. And so I was very wise, very, very wise. I was at least 23 and I had graduated from college, so I learned it all. And so I was expressing to Pastor Bob what was wrong with the church. I said, Pastor Bob, I needed to let you know what's wrong with the church. He said, come on in, I'm dying to hear. And so I told him, I said, you know what's wrong with the church? The church doesn't relate to young people, Pastor Bob. He goes, no, that's a real problem. I said, you know what else is wrong with the church, Pastor Bob? The music is old. It's, who else sings three, 400 years old songs? We need new music. Oh, that's real interesting. I said, you know what else is wrong with the church, Pastor Bob? It is that it's, it, it's become irrelevant to a lot of people. The church needs to talk about relevant things. He said, that, that's fascinating, Jeff. You're so wise. I said, I said, you know what else is wrong with the church, Pastor Bob? We dress up. Nobody dresses up anymore. We need to wear flip-flops and jeans in order to go to church like Jesus did, Pastor Bob. And he said, he said, oh, that's so insightful. You know the scripture so well. And I went on and on and on. I said, this is what's wrong with the church. And this is what's wrong with the church. What's wrong with the church? And finally, Pastor Bob, in his wisdom, he stopped me. He goes, who are you talking about? I said, the church. He said, our church? I go, no, not our church. We do everything right. I'm talking about the church. He goes, he goes, what do you mean the church? He goes, I said, the church is what's wrong with the church. He goes, you're the church. And I don't know who you're talking about. Every complaint and frustration you have, you have against yourself. 
You are the church. He, he said, he told me, he goes, you need to go stand in the mirror and yell at yourself if you're this frustrated. Because you, you are talking about in your mind something that's out there somewhere. Some mystical group of people that run the church. He goes, you, you are the church, Jeff. You're saved into it. You're a part of the body of Christ. If, if the church lacks vision, it's because you lack vision. If the church needs to change, because you need to change. He goes, I don't know who you're talking about. And that conversation was a very profound conversation for me because I kind of grew up with that mindset that the church was, usually we, it was the pastor, you know, it was the pastor and all of his problems and weaknesses. And then our tradition had deacons, so they were <laughs> really messed up. And so you're like, in the deacons and the church, the church is where you went. It's a thing that you did. It was some mysterious group of people out there. It never really clicked in that it was me and that everything that the scripture said to the church, it was saying to me. And this is an important part of our relationship with Christ. When, when I look at what the Bible has to say to the church, there's always a me and a we component to it. That when God gives the, a directive to the corporate church, he's also giving it to me as an individual. And I have to pull that kind of instruction out of like the theoretical and into the realities of my life. Sometimes as an individual, I execute those commands corporately by joining in with everybody else and kind of making something happen. I also execute them personally that not only does the church go into all the world, but I do. Not only is the church the ambassadors of Jesus Christ, but I am. Not only is the church the witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts, but I am too. I have at a minimum a role to play, and sometimes I'm the person that needs to go do it. See, Who are you talking about, Jeff? I'm talking about myself and my relationship with God and my interaction with God. And that's kind of the thought behind this series. We together as Grace Church have corporately decided that in the scripture, there's certain things that we need to value highly. We actually call them our eight values. If you ever pop over to the office, they're plastered everywhere. Because I want the staff to always remember, this is what we do. We don't run a not-for-profit. We lead the church of Jesus Christ and its local expression. And there's certain things that the Bible would teach us are to lead that charge and to define what we do and why we do it. And so as a part of Grace Church, if you've been around a while, you may know some of the answers to these. If you're newer to Grace, like most of us are, you start asking questions like, why are you guys, like, why are you guys so obsessed with planting 30 churches in 30 years, 30 campuses in 30 years? Well, there's a reason behind that. There's a value behind it. Why do you spend millions of dollars training young leaders. I mean, you just told us to go to church on a different night. Can't you build a bigger building? Well, well, we will if we have to, but we'd rather raise up pastors and missionaries and teachers. We'd rather spend the money doing that. What, why, why are you always talking about evangelism? Why are you like obsessed with them? Like exactly, right? Because the Bible would tell us to do that. And these missionaries all over the place, that's expensive and hard and difficult. And you're actually asking me to consider uprooting my life and maybe go doing that like other people at Grace Church have? Yeah. It's a part of the whole process, and it's a part of what we value, and it's what drives us forward as a church. And it's a calling on my life and our lives. 
me as a part of the church is probably one of the greatest accomplishments of my life individually. And what God does through the corporate church is a part of one of, one of kind of my wins and victories personally because who are you talking about, Jeff? I'm actually always talking to myself or about myself when I express the wins or the frustrations of the church. So we started this conversation last weekend and Pastor Ryan took us into it. And when we talk about these values, we're not just talking about like the things that we do, we would look and say, no, this is what the Bible teaches. This is why we value it so highly. So Pastor Ryan talked about the idea of we share life together last weekend. And when we talk about sharing life together and life groups and connect groups and biblical community, that is not a strategy for a large church to organize itself. That's not how we view it. We look and say, that's a biblical directive. Like the Bible is very clear that as a follower of Christ, I, I have to share my life with other people and allow them to share their lives with me. I have to pray together and confess my sins one to another and bear each other's burdens and rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn and, and all the one another's in the scripture. That's how I follow Jesus. That's not a small group strategy for a big church. It's a value. And so we would look and say, personalize that. that. Small groups isn't something you do if you have margin. There's no game on Tuesday. Maybe we'll go to a small group. That, that's not what a small group is. A small group is a spiritual discipline like Bible reading and prayer and giving would be to a believer that we do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And that means the weekend and that means a smaller group too where I purposely in a disciplined way invest my life in somebody else. That's why that's a value. It's not the church's value. It's actually a life value for an individual follower of Jesus Christ. So that conversation kind of kicked it off and that's, that's out there. So it's online, podcast, on the app. You can listen to it, watch it. I would encourage you whenever Pastor Ryan teaches to listen. Watching is difficult, uh, seeing him. So it, it's pleasing here. If you have high definition, you should watch me. Ryan, listen. It's better that way. But catch up on that conversation. Just understand like there's more to that than like the church is running, clicking through a list. We would look and say, no, these are biblical values that we really believe raises to the top and that we hold tightly to. Now this weekend, I wanna introduce or reintroduce another one to you. And to be honest, this is one that's probably the closest to my heart. It's a, it's a deep, deep passion of mine. And it really was the motivation for starting Grace Church. If you went back in the day and said, Jeff, why did, why did you and Heidi even do all this stuff? It, it would be back to this idea that we saw this problem, realized it wasn't the church's calling, it was mine, right? What are you gonna do about it? Because who are you talking to anyways? And we looked and said, this is a big one. So this is the value I wanna share with you this weekend, okay? It's this one, that we live to make Jesus make sense. We do that corporately and then we do that personally. We live to make Jesus make sense. And we explain it this way. We're preoccupied with making any necessary sacrifice to make the story of Jesus clear and accessible to anyone seeking after him, all right? So let's say this together, ready? We live to make Jesus make sense. You did a horrible job doing that. So do it, even if you're watching online, say this out loud, ready? Here it is. We live to make Jesus make sense 
And we believe that that's the calling of the church. That's the calling of my life individually as a follower of Jesus Christ. And then our life corporately, when the me becomes the we, that we live, we exist in part to make Jesus make sense. Now, this value comes right out of the scripture. All of our values do. So like I said, these aren't just things that, they're not, they're not like the company's mission. We look and say, these are things that are highly exalted, so to say, in scripture. And so we grab them and say, we want them to drive us corporately. So let me show you this. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you want to use the Bibles in the chairs, it's page 797 in those Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, page 797. All this is on the app if you want to hit that and use that as well. And the Apostle Paul lays this out, and this is actually where we drew this value from. We just kind of put modern words on it, but it comes out of the scripture in this place. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this is what the Apostle Paul says in verse 19. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. We'll kind of pause there a little bit. Paul says, though I'm free and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. The the Apostle Paul says, listen, when it comes to this idea of winning people to Jesus, I want to win you. I want you to stop believing in whatever else you believe And I want you to start believing in the person of Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. I want you to move off a place of neutrality where you don't even really think about God. And I want you to start believing and following Jesus. I want you to stop defining and directing your own life and start allowing Christ to define and direct your your life. I want to win you over to that way of thinking and to the mind and the heart of Christ. And I've enslaved myself to it. I've given myself my whole life to this. Now, that statement is a huge statement coming from the Apostle Paul. Because this guy, just a few years before this, would have been on the exact opposite side of the spectrum. Before Paul became a follower of Jesus Christ, his job was to travel around and persecute or kill Christians. If you said that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, Paul was after you, especially if you were an ancient Jewish convert. That was his whole job. He had an expense account. He had a luxury donkey. He got mileage reimbursement, the whole nine yards. And he would travel around and he would persecute Christians. Then what happened to him was this. Jesus showed up and talked to Paul directly. One of the only times in the scriptures that Jesus does this. It's very, it's not common, but he did it to Paul directly. He was on this way to this town called Damascus. Jesus shows up and says, Paul, what are you doing? I want you to serve me, not persecute me. In essence, I love you. I laid my life down for you. I want you to go from trying to defeat people who want to follow me to winning people who follow me. So Paul, when he makes this statement, he does a 180. He went from being a slave to trying to destroy human beings to being a slave to trying to win them to the cause and the calling to the heart and the mind of Christ. And then what he does is he goes and he starts to describe how he does that and how that's played out in his life. 
And so he kind of walks that through a little bit. So I'm a slave to these things to win as many as possible. In order to do that, what I did was for like for the Jewish people, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law to, to win those under the law, though I myself am not under the law. And then he goes on, he says, to those, those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. He goes through and he starts to describe this, and, and he's trying to help followers of Christ get their head around it. I'm giving my life to this. I'm enslaved to it. We might say it this way today. In fact, we do. I'm preoccupied with it. I'm obsessed with this idea of helping Jesus make sense. And and I want to do that wherever people are. And I want to connect with them wherever I can connect with them. So for like the Jewish people, or today we might say it this way, for people who were raised in a religious context, people who know all about the Bible and know all the facts about Christ, but do not know his heart and his mind, I engage them at that position, right? I, I grew up like that. I grew up, we, we went to church three to four times a week when I was growing up. I knew the Bible and I knew about the, the information about Christ. I didn't know he loved me. I knew a lot about hell. We talked about hell a bunch and all the ways to get there, right? And there's a lot. But I didn't know about Christ's mercy or his love or that he was a rescuer, I was like an ancient Jewish person who was raised with all kinds of information, but didn't, Jesus didn't make sense to me. So Paul says, I just entered into that part of their world with them, and I, I used their history and their background to point them to Christ. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Somebody under the law basically is someone who believes that you earn your way to heaven, so uh, somewhere along the line that somebody was given like a list of things to do. If you do these things, you go to heaven. If you go to church and you say confession and you take communion and you give money and, and you, you don't drink alcohol and you avoid tattoos and all these kind of things, if you do these things, you get to heaven, right? Lots of people, many, many people believe that. And Paul says, I got all that, but Jesus doesn't make sense to those people, so I became like them. If it was too much for them, for, for me to drink alcohol in front of them, I just didn't. If, if they were gonna trip over, up over a tattoo, I just didn't get a tattoo. If, if they thought you shouldn't eat meat on Fridays, I just, I just didn't eat meat on Fridays. I became like them so that their misconceptions didn't become barriers to actually knowing the heart and the mind of Christ. And even people not under the law, here at Grace, we, we call these, we say that these people are biblically illiterate. And we don't mean that they're dumb. We just literally mean they don't know anything about the Bible. If you're 35 and under in North America, you are probably biblically illiterate. You didn't grow up in church, you don't know the Bible, and you probably have no historical witness of the gospel in your life. Probably your parents didn't grow up in church, and your grandparents didn't either. So you just don't know what the Bible says. You know, like Christmas and Easter, are like Christian things, 
Kwanzaa is what it is. Hanukkah is like a Jewish thing. Ramadan's like a Muslim thing. It's a set of holidays to you. But you don't really know the heart and the mind of God. And if you do have an opinion about Christianity or Jesus, chances are it's relatively negative, right? So Paul says, yeah, there's lots of people. They didn't grow up under law. They didn't grow up with anything. In fact, you're kind of normal if you didn't grow up with anything nowadays. And he said, so I just went there. I just assumed they knew nothing. And we started the conversation wherever they wanted to start the conversation with, right? It doesn't matter to me because I'll do anything to help them know the heart and mind of Christ. I'm preoccupied with that. I'll try to understand that. I'll meet them where they are to take them where they need to go. I've enslaved myself to this. I've died to myself. I give my whole life to it because I, I want them to know the gospel. I want them to understand the heart and the mind and the love of Jesus above all things. He keeps going through this list and he shows up in verse 22 and he, he, he lays out another group of people in verse 22. He says this, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. And the weak in the Bible in this context is a, is a very interesting thing. The weak is not a person, it's a category. It's not a person, it's a category. And so he says there's this category of people that are spiritually weak and the weaknesses in their life are their barriers to knowing the heart and the mind of God. The Bible would say there's some people that are obstinate against God. I'm an atheist, or at least I think I am, but there is no such thing. But I'm an atheist, or I hate God, or I'm rebelling against my parents, or I hate the church, or whatever. There's some people that have an attitude toward God. There's a whole bunch of people that they, they have barriers in their life that make Jesus difficult to understand. As an example... A weak person may be someone who was raised in Central Africa, in Chad, Africa, in a completely Muslim environment, and they have no gospel witness at all. They've never heard the name of Jesus. They have no idea what the church is for. They don't know the Bible. They were raised in the culture. They, they know less about Christianity than you know about Islam. They're weak. They're not dumb. They're weak. They, they, they're spiritually weak. There's barriers. And their barriers isn't a hard heart yet because they don't even have a, a knowledge of God to harden their heart toward him. And he says to those people, I, I would enter their culture. I might dress the way that they dress. I, I, might, I might eat what they eat. I might pick up their cultural customs in order to help them know the gospel. A, a weak person may be someone with emotional pain. You know, you say that God's a loving father who will never leave me or forsake me. When you talk about a father, you rip open every emotional wound I have. There's nothing about a father that is appealing to me. So I have to overcome my abuse and my abandonment to even get in the realm of trying to understand God. I have a weakness, I have a wound in my life that actually makes it difficult for Jesus to make sense to me. A weak person may be a person in, in an inner city in North America, Cleveland, Akron, wherever. 
and they have no gospel heritage at all. They don't grow up in church. They're biblically illiterate. Their parents didn't. Their grandparents didn't. They cannot get to the gospel. The gospel has to come to them. How are they supposed to run into it? They're not gonna hear it in school. They're not gonna find it on the internet. It's not on television. How would you run into the gospel unless the gospel was delivered to you? There's a weakness, there's a barrier. Maybe somebody who's struggling with addictions. I'm really open to this idea that Jesus is my savior and a rescuer. That's great, man. I'm glad you care about my eternity. I'm trying to stay sober today. My problem is today. Right? I'm being overwhelmed today. I, you talk about my soul all you want. I got I to gotta talk about my sobriety. And Paul says, yeah, I just met him there. I just met him there. It's okay. If we got to talk about your sobriety first, you know, when we do famine relief, if, if filling your belly is the first step to filling your soul, fine. I get it, right? When I'm starving to death, I'm not real open to a Bible lesson. Paul says, I just be, it's okay. To the weak, I'll become weak. We would say it this way, I'll make any necessary sacrifice. Whatever I have to do to cross that barrier for you, I'll cross it. However I have to move to help you know who Jesus is, to help Jesus make sense to you, I will move to you there, it's fine. What's it take? You're weak in Chad Africa. Let's take a missionary. I'll go be one. Somebody volunteered to be one. What do they need? They need money. Here's money. I mean, what, whatever we got to do. What's it take? You're, you're in the inner city. What's it take? You're not going to drive out of the inner city and go to a suburban church and ex, ex, discover the gospel. Maybe that's where I need to buy my first house or I need to tutor kids or whatever. I'll, I'll come to you. I'll, bring, I'll, I'll move towards you. You got addictions. What's it take? You need my time, my energy, my friendship, my emotional capacity, it's yours. I'll bear that burden with you. Anything to help you know the gospel, see. Paul says, I'm obsessed with it, I'm preoccupied with it. I'll make any necessary sacrifice. I'm enslaved to this thing. It's the calling of my life and it's the calling of the church of Jesus Christ. He goes on. He says this in verse 22. He says, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. We we say that this way, I I will help the story of Jesus make sense. I I I I will make it clear and accessible to you, the gospel, the story of Jesus. I want to make the gospel clear and accessible. Whatever it takes, however you need the gospel delivered to you, because you don't have to come find the gospel, I'm going to bring it to you. What do you need? What is the delivery mechanism that you need? Do you need a campus in your community? Here comes a campus in your community. And I'll, I'll break from my life group and get out from under my, you know, the teacher that I like and, and the music will be different and my friends will have to change, but I'll do that for the gospel. If that's what you need, that's what you need. You, you need a missionary? Here come the missionaries. I'll sell my business and I'll uproot my life and I'll move my kids. And if I don't feel called to do that, I'll get behind the people who are called to do it. 
I don't care, what do you need, a check? You need prayer, you need a conversation on the internet so you're not all alone out there? What do you need? You need me to come visit? I'll do anything, all possible means to bring the gospel. You need, you need, a, you need a, a basketball? Do you need a neutral ground to meet on? Because making the leap from like nothing to a church service is way too much. Do you need a, you need a basketball league? You need a coach, you need a, a gym because we live in Northeast Ohio and it, you can't play outside without hypothermia. Like is, it, you need it, you got it, done. Whatever it takes, everything, by all possible means, I will bring the gospel to you. And that's a corporate thing and it's a personal one too. Do you, do you need me to walk across the street of our neighborhood and meet you? instead of being frustrated that our neighbors are not going? Do you need me to, to risk my social status and invite you to sit at our lunch table? Do you need me to, to not just have a goof off and fun time in college, but to be missional in it? You need to be my roommate, move into my dorm, work on my floor. Is that what you need? It's done. All things, all possible means anything to allow me to be a part of winning you to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there's anything in my life that is clouding the gospel, I, I will remove it so that the gospel is clear to you. If there's any barrier that's making you engaging the gospel difficult, if we can remove that barrier, we'll remove it. Because I want the gospel to be clear, I want it to be accessible, I want it to be about what you need, not about what I'm used to or what I want, Paul says. Name it. I'll become all things to all people so that through all possible means, anything to make Jesus make sense to you. He says it this way, then he kind of concludes his thoughts. He says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that, 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 that I might share in its blessings. I find that fascinating. Because I do this for the sake of the gospel. I don't do this out of guilt. I don't do it out of obligation. I, do, I don't do it to make the church bigger. I don't do it for politics. I don't do it for world domination. The Muslims are catching up. I do it for the sake of the gospel. You know why I do this? Because Jesus did this for me. You know who I am? My full-time job was to kill Christians. And God loved me so deeply, he showed up in a supernatural way and interrupted that. He explained himself to me. And I do that for him. That is the sole outpouring of my message. I don't have another motive. That is the motive for the sake of the gospel, for the call of the gospel, for the purpose of the gospel. I will do everything that I can do to make it clear and accessible to you. Guys, this is, this is the hitch. This is where most of us kind of get caught up in, in, in this. Because what I found in my own life and, and trying to lead a church all these years is this, 
that many of us will make any manageable sacrifice for the gospel, right? I struggle with it too. God, if I've got extra time after work and after relaxation and after friends and after the kids and after soccer and after basketball, if I have a Tuesday evening free, it's yours. God, if I have extra money after the car payment and the house payment and the boat payment and the new TV and the vacation we were gonna take, if there's anything left, it is yours. Any manageable, reasonable sacrifice. God, I will do what you call me to do kind of if it's basically within my life plan. Like, like if I'm advancing in my career and the kids are in the right school district and I don't actually have to change much, I am more than willing to lay my life down for you. Any reasonable, measurable, manageable sacrifice I'm in on. See? Guys, what happens is this. When we have that mindset, we, we pick up a false understanding of what's at stake. When we look at humanity, we have to look at humanity the way that God looks at humanity. God looks and says, the object of my affection, the passion of my heart is the souls of men and women. It's humanity. And we have to remember that whatever God loves deeply, Satan hates passionately. So as God is seeking to forgive and to restore and to rescue and to redeem, Satan is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy the exact same person. And the trap that we find ourselves in a lot is this. We tend to think of humanity as being on neutral ground. And when I think about sharing my faith or evangelism or even the, the mission of the church, what I think is this, that you're on a neutral ground and if you added Jesus to the life that you're already living, it would make your life better. You kind of do what you already wanna do and you're already kind of happy and you already kind of have a bunch of freedom and nobody's really going hungry. And so if you just add Jesus, he will fulfill you, he will give you purpose and not only will your body be healthy and your finances will be healthy, but your soul will be healthy and Jesus will make your life a little better and at the end you get to go to heaven. And what that mindset leads to is this. If you reject Jesus, all you're doing is rejecting the health plan that I think is best for my life. And you find yourself on neutral ground. You're just kind of left with the life that you already have. It could have been a little better but you decided not to put the cherry on top of the Sunday you already live in. Now here's the great fallacy of that idea and that perception. The great fallacy is this, that if my life is falling apart, then I'll call out for a savior. That's why most people are not motivated to follow Jesus because if you live in North America, generally your life isn't that bad. So if I reject Jesus, I just live the life that I kinda wanna live anyways, so I didn't really lose much. And I just wind back up on this neutral ground. But the fallacy is this, giving yourself and gaining everything you want is not the blessing of God and it's not neutral ground, it's the deception of the devil. The greatest deception of the devil, he's not gonna jump out behind a bush with horns on and go, ah, and his head's gonna spin around, that's not gonna happen. That would just freak you out. 
the greatest deception of the devil is this. I'll give you the whole world. All you got to do is give me your soul. The devil is more apt to prosper your life than Christ is. Because I'll trade a great life, a happy marriage, plenty of sex, enough money, a little bit of freedom, let my, my dreams come true. I'll trade that so much so that if I have that, I don't even care about who Christ is or what he says. And when you do that, you're not on a neutral ground. You're on a, a ground that is gonna lead you to a separation from God and hell. It's not that you might go to hell one day, it's that you're on your way there right now. As a follower of Christ, when I view the world that way, or I view Christ that way myself, I have actually put myself in a very dangerous position because I'm not contending for the souls of man with the passion that Christ did. Jesus doesn't have to die on the cross, suffer, be buried, raise again in three days so that your income can increase a little bit. You can manage that all on your own. Jesus has to do all that stuff so that what is dead can be resurrected to life. And I'm not contending for the betterment of someone's soul. I'm contending for their life of their soul. It's a battle over heaven and a battle over hell. And for the follower of Jesus, that is not a battle that I take lightly, casually, or don't exist in at all. Because when a person rejects God, they don't wind up just back in this neutral position. They wind up forfeiting their very soul. God looks and says, this is why we have to go. You're not my ambassador of a better life. You are an ambassador that says, listen, you are trapped in sin. I love you and I came to rescue you. Make me make sense. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. I'm not here to list your sins out. I'm here to let you know that they exist so that you can escape what you don't realize you're falling into. And if the followers of Jesus Christ, if the church of Jesus Christ are unwilling to contend for the souls of humanity more passionately than the evil one is, then what hope is there? They're not gonna run into the gospel anywhere else. The gospel is not proclaimed anywhere except from the people of God. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter nine. He says in verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse nine, he says, if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess and are saved. Then he asks this question, verse 14. How then can they call on one of whom they have not believed? Where else is humanity gonna run into the story of Jesus? You're not gonna stumble into the gospel. You're not gonna go to Target one day and be like, oh, my soul's in danger of hell. That's never gonna happen. It doesn't show up anywhere except from the people of God. How can they believe in one that they've never even heard about? How can they know 
that they need to do this. He goes on, he says this in verse 14 following, he says, how can they believe in the one of whom they've never heard? Who else is gonna tell them about it? And, and how can they hear without someone preaching it or communicating it? The gospel of Jesus Christ does not come as like a package that you sell. It always comes through a messenger that is sent. The reason why the people in your life are in your life is so that you can share the reason for the hope that's within you. You are the salt and the light of Christ. You're not gonna fill a stadium or do a broadcast or put out a social media campaign and suddenly people are gonna be like, you know what, I do need to follow Jesus. It always comes through a messenger because every individual needs to receive that message individually. So it's delivered through relationships. It's not delivered through a marketing campaign. And this is what Paul is saying. How can they even know that that's an issue if they never heard about it? And how can they hear about it unless somebody tells them? He goes on, how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of Jesus. Who would send a person? The church. The church is sent. Who's the church? The church ought to do something. Who are you talking about, Jeff? I am the one that is sent. You are the one that is sent. You have the relationships to deliver the message, and I don't. And I have mine. And the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet. This, this is what the church does. The Bible doesn't say how beautiful are the feet of those who walk in the church and listen every week. doesn't say that. How beautiful are the feet of those who walk into a class and learn the Bible inside and out? Doesn't say that. How beautiful are the feet of those who, who, who electronically give every week to great? Doesn't say that. How beautiful are the feet of those who deliver the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ? God didn't give the church to the church. He gave the church to the world. The reason that you don't go to heaven the minute that you accept Christ as your savior is because you're here to do the work of an evangelist. You are and we are. And the purpose of the church is not to keep a tradition or to even rebuild a culture. We're not called to save a country. We're called to build a kingdom. The purpose of the church is to proclaim the gospel, and we are the only ones who would ever proclaim it. And if we don't, I think sometimes when we think about sharing our faith or sharing the gospel of Jesus, one of the reasons why it gets intimidating is because we look and say, well, I... So I got to learn to like be a public speaker and stand up in front of everybody under lights and, and look as good as you, Jeff, in order to be used by God. And, and it, it's a falsehood. We, we've, God has used people like that in our culture, but it's, it's the exception. It's not the norm. It's fascinating in the scripture. You don't have to know the Bible well to proclaim the gospel. Some of, the, some of the first people to ever share about Jesus were healed or, or forgiven by Jesus. They went and started talking about Jesus. They didn't know any of the Bible. They didn't have any theology. They didn't have any religious background. And some of them didn't even know who had healed them. 
All they knew was that their life had changed. And this is where Peter captures this so well. He says, here's the key to evangelism, I believe. When Peter says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's within you. Just be ready to tell your story. That's all you gotta do, right? So I say this, as a minimum, as a follower of Jesus, as a minimum, we need to, we call it praying for your three here at Grace. We need to be praying for three people by name every day that God would provide an opportunity for you to share the reason for the hope that's within you. At a minimum, there's three people, individuals that you know and love that you pray for by name every day. If those three names just popped into your head, that's called the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's what that sounds like. The Holy Spirit doesn't show up and talk to you personally. If, if he does, you need to call me immediately because we either need to get you medical help or if it's for real, I want in on it, right? So that's not how the Holy Spirit works. He whispers in our minds usually or through our spirits. So the three names that pop into your head first are the three names that God wants you to pray for every day. It's that simple. And you start praying for them every day. What do you pray for? We, we say this, pray for a no-brainer moment. If sharing the gospel ever feels like a sales pitch, if it ever has a whiff of Amway or like Cutco, run away kind of a thing, right? If it's a sales pitch, it's, that's not it. It's a no-brainer moment. Be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's within you. I'll give you an example. Heidi and I right now are getting lots of opportunities to share the reason for the hope that's within us. You know why? Because we just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary, and we have all kinds of people looking at us and saying, how in the world did you guys stay married 25 years? I don't know anybody that's been married. My grandparents were married 25 years. My parents were married 25 years. We wanna stay married 25 years. How did you guys stay married 25 years? You just asked me for a reason for the hope that's within me. Because if you wanna know how I stayed married 25 years, it's because Heidi and I decided to love Jesus more than each other. It's all Christ. And when you love Jesus more than each other, you love each other completely differently. So it's not about whether we always made each other happy or not. We have a happy, wonderful marriage. It's not because we were always happy all the time. It's because we were more committed to Christ than each other. We served Christ and that caused us to serve each other. I just gave you a reason for the hope that's within me. I just shared a part of the gospel with you because I answered the question you asked me. See, that's an example, right? Why did you start believing? Why do you go to church? How come you're not like this? Why don't you wanna go out with us? See, And when you start praying for three people by name every day, you're gonna be shocked how they start asking you questions. You're also gonna be shocked how they come in contact with Jesus and even accept and follow him. So we say at a minimum, do that. It's what Paul calls the work of an evangelist. The work of an evangelist is not to go pass out tracts or stand on a street corner and yell at strangers as they drive by. The work of an evangelist is to pray, is to be concerned, is to look at my friends and family and realize that if I actually love them, I will have concern for their soul. And I purposely involve myself in that. Now, for some of us, there's like another level. So for some of us, you're like, I've been praying for my three and I I try to share my faith whenever God opens the door, that's great. But you wanna get strategic about it, right? And so you want to look and say, I, I have like, I have a burden for this individual, but I also have a burden for like my dorm. I have a burden for my employees. I have a burden for my neighborhood, just whatever your, my gym, whatever, just fill in your blank. And, and, and how do I like 
access that. Like I have, I have a, a, a burden for it. I just don't really know what to do about it. So what we do, this is where the, we kick in together. The me becomes the we. So we have a thing here at Grace that we call Salt and Light Workshops. The next one is October 8th. And, and you're all welcome to be a part of it. And Salt and Light Workshops is not evangelism training. If you're familiar with that term, it's an old church term. It's not, teach, it's not a sales technique. Salt and Light Workshops are just this. It's you getting together with like-minded people who have a burden for like a group, not just an individual. And getting together, you're praying for each other and you're talking about, well, how do you do that in your group? And what did you do in your group? And oh, you did that and your group responded? And, and it, it, you're just sharing ideas, best practices. You're praying for each other, you're going out and trying it, you're coming back and you're thinking it through again. That's it, right? And that's a way that we would organize and say, hey, if you have a burden for a group, we should all get together, those of us who have that burden, think it through, okay? It's not sales pitchy. It's just thinking it through. That I'll do anything, all possible means, anything that proclaim the gospel, right? But the Bible would be clear that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you having no passion, you having no desire to make Jesus make sense, you making no effort to make Jesus make sense, that cannot be. In fact, that would be sin. And if you look and say, I don't care, my faith is my own, something is deeply wrong in your heart. You can say, I'm no good at it, I'm scared, I'm not sure what to do. Fine, you're normal then, you're just like me. But I don't care, it's not my job, somebody else do it. You cannot find that in the scripture if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, right? So if you need help, if you need tips, if you need prayer, if you need a team, it's there. If you just refuse to do it, you're setting yourself up against what God directly, easy peasy, simple to find in the scripture says. Careful with that, because God will oppose that, but he'll give grace to us who try in our feeble attempts to do what he's called us to do. Now, if you're here this weekend or you're watching online and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this is a very weird conversation for you to be a part of, right? Because I, I, just, I just laid out a secret. And you can look and say, oh, that's what you guys are up to. That's what you're up to. I knew it. You're, you're, try, you're trying to get me to be a Christian, aren't you? You're trying to proselytize me, aren't you? And the answer is, Yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I believe what the Bible says that there is one way to have your sins forgiven and there is one person who can do it and his name is Jesus Christ. And what I want more than anything in life is I want you to believe that. I want, I want you to stop believing what you believe about other religions and stop believing what you believe about your own opinions. And I want you to believe, I want you to choose to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And I want you to accept him 
as your savior. I want you to ask him for the forgiveness of your sins because I believe what he said. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father, nobody goes to heaven unless you come through me, unless you receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for your sins. That, I'm, I'm not trying to keep a secret from you. I'm telling you exactly, that, that's the deal. And that's what Grace Church believes and that's what we want for you. My son's had some friends over, a bunch of college students, a while ago, and, and, and I was there, and I, because I bought them pizza, and they'll pretty much do anything for it. And so we were over having pizza, and then we were going to watch a movie together in our theater. And, and I got in this conversation with one of their friends who thought they were an atheist, but they're not, because there is no such thing. So I talked her out of it, it took about 10 minutes. And so she realized that she wasn't an atheist. And so we started talking about, well, if you're not an atheist, then there is something spiritual. What would that be? And she said, well, I think this or I think that. And it was kind of a coexist, kind of a mindset. Everybody who's good kind of loves God. And I said, I gotcha. And, and she goes, what do you think? You're a Christian teacher. What do you think? So I told her what the Bible says about Jesus and, and our beliefs about Jesus, that he's the only way to heaven. We're just having a conversation. I talked for probably an hour and a half and just had this really fun conversation. And so the conversation kind of wrapped up and we were walking down to our, our, uh, our home theater and we're in the hallway. She turned around and she just kind of stopped. She turned around, looked at me. She goes, she goes do you think I'm gonna go to hell? And I looked at her and I said, yes, I do. And it scares me to death. I love you. I don't want you to go to hell. If you're not a follower of Jesus, do I think you're gonna go to hell? I do. It's what the Bible teaches me and I believe what God says in his word because I believe that Jesus is the resurrected Christ. I think that and it scares me to death. And I'm, I love you too much to be cute about it. There, the Bible says there's one way and his name is Christ and he didn't come to control you. He didn't come to condemn you. He's not wagging his finger at you. He came to save you. And I don't, I don't care about your politics. I don't care about your lifestyle. I don't care about any of it. I care that you accept the forgiveness and the love of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus saves you and the Holy Spirit lives within you, he will transform your mind and renew your thinking. That's not my job, that's his job. But I'm afraid you're gonna go to hell. And I'm afraid you're gonna have a wonderful, prosperous, healthy life and lose your soul. I wanna invite you to invite Jesus. If there's never been a time in your life where you on purpose, on your own, not a religious ceremony, not a baptism, but on your own, said, Jesus, will you forgive me of my sin? I believe you are the risen son of God. And I am willing to place my life under your authority and direction. I invite you to do that right now. Don't worry about what to say. God could care less what you say. He cares what you mean, and he knows what you mean. So I encourage you to confess Jesus as Lord and to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and receive his salvation. 
And in doing so, I'm just letting you know, in doing so, you're placing your life. If he's God, then he's God. So the Christian life is not about earning God's favor. The Christian life is about responding to God's love. That's, what, that's why we obey God, because we love him. And we're grateful for what he's done in our life. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do it. And if you're not ready to do it yet, if I'm right, and we're talking about your eternal soul, would you at least have the conversation about it? That we can at least sit and talk it through. Me or one of, the, one of the team here at Grace or maybe your friend who's a Christian, at least dig into the conversation, right? Because if it's your soul, then, and then it's worth a little investment. It won't cost, I'll buy the coffee. I'll spend the $2.50 on you. Or if we go to Starbucks, the $19.41, right? So, but isn't it, it, wouldn't it be worth an hour at least to figure that out a little bit? That's all. Because okay. what I want for you, more than anything, is for Jesus to make sense, Right? Jesus, help us with this. God, for those that you're calling right now in this moment here and on over the internet that you're calling right now and their hearts are racing and their minds are racing and they're, they got a little bit of a knot in their stomach, Lord, that is your kindness, not your condemnation. And you say in your word that it's your kindness that draws us to you. And so, God, they're wrestling with a spiritual question that maybe they've wrestled with for a while or maybe they never even thought about before, but they feel a draw to you like they've never felt before. God, would you give them the courage and the humility to yield to that calling right now and to ask for your forgiveness and God, yield their life to you. Would you do that? Would you make that stronger and stronger, irresistible even right now? God, if this is not their moment, would you at least allow an open enough mind and heart to have the conversation? And God, for those of us who have received your salvation are your people, motivate us, convict us, Doing nothing, there's nowhere in your scripture would you ever describe your people as passive. So God, let us be preoccupied. Let us be willing to pay whatever cost, anything to make you clear and accessible and stir in our hearts in these deep and powerful ways. Use these prayers that we're gonna sing, God, in these moments to press into us more and more, Jesus, in your name. Amen.